Deplorable Nation, a podcast where your voices can be heard, where things that affect you and your family are important, because it's important to all of us. Every one of us matters, and everybody has a voice. We're going to be bringing you news, current events, and throw in a lot of humor, and then you decide for yourself. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and don't forget, real quick, business in the front, check out MyPillow.com, promo code Janet. You can save up to 66% off. Good way to support me if you like what I do, like what I stand for, and you're in need of some awesome stuff, go check that out. You can also use their 800 number for me. It's 1-800-976-1152. Also, go check out Campfire Blend Coffee. Campfireblend.com brought to you by the beautiful, lovely Miss Shannon that's been on the show, a friend of the show, and my best bud in the world. So go check out her amazing coffee at campfireblend.com. Also, go check out Miss Jackie's one and only freedomshopdirectory.com where you can shop at Patriot-owned businesses. You can register your business on there. You can support them financially. Uh, You can do all kinds of things, all kinds of shopping for some great merch. So freedomshopdirectory.com. So on to the business part of this. Today, I have a lovely guest. He's a beautiful human being, and I'm Tickled Pink, he decided to join me today, Mr. Charlie Murphy. How in the hell are you, my dear? I'm doing wonderful, Janet. How are you today? Fantastic. Freezing, but that is beside the point. I was just outside in my snowsuit getting my fresh air. (laughs) Oh, that's good for you, though. I look like the abominable snowman, but that's all right. Kept me warm. Oh, yeah. So... Go for it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say I layer up. Today was really nice where I'm at, but uh, this past week has been kind of brutal. Yeah, it's like miserable cold. I mean, we have a fantastically lovely wind chill, so it's like 18 degrees right now. A little frigid. Make your nose hairs freeze and crack real quick. So, Mr. Charlie, tell me all about you and the world of Charlie Murphy. Oh, man. Okay, where to begin? Um, That's a lot. (laughs) So uh, I grew up moving around a lot because my father was former military. And I feel like that's kind of a key fact of, I think, part of the reason why I am the way that I am. Um, Mm -hmm. He just moved like every three years. So I lived in Maine and Pennsylvania and upstate New York before graduating high school. Um, And did a year of college, realized it wasn't for me, had too much fun, like many people do, and uh, 
and was like, you know what? I just want to work, pay bills, see what that's like, and uh, like get into the real world and out of the the crib that I think, you know, youth nowadays are kind of, it's like you're kept in the cradle until you're 22. Right. So, um, so I worked and then stumbled into tattooing at 19 years old, um, 31 now. And that's what I've been doing since I started. That's fantastic. And I was, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you is if you did uh, like any formal training for becoming a tattoo artist or it's just your God given ability to do so. <laughs> yeah. Tattooing is interesting because there's no, I mean, they're starting to sprout up these like little schools, but I feel like ta- the tattooing culture in general is kind of opposed to them because it's always been done kind of in-house um, usually just through an uh, apprenticeship system. So you basically find an artist you respect, bother them until they let you in the door. And, you know, most of the time that means you're just going to be sweeping their shop or making them coffee or whatever for however long until they let, you know, start to slowly teach you each step of the process. That's very cool, though, to get into it in that manner. And I I would not mind uh, sweeping up or cleaning up, but I cannot make coffee to save my life. I don't drink coffee, so my husband can attest to the fact that uh, my coffee is not good. (laughs) Oh, man, I have to try that campfire blend stuff, too, that that, uh, Shannon has. It sounds pretty good. Yeah, it is. It is pretty. It's pretty amazing. And and she has a, a... whiskey meat rub as well and i used that not too long ago and i made like um grilled turkey sausage with that meat rub on it oh my lord that sounds fantastic heavenly yeah Yeah. but yeah the tattoo industry i feel like runs on coffee so i mean there are points where you know i was tattooing at like a we call them street shops but essentially like a type of shop where you can just walk in with no appointment and most of the people there do whatever you most styles, you know. So I worked at at some of those types of shops, and you'd be tattooing ten to, ten hours a day straight for you know five days a week. So I'd burn through easily a pot of coffee a day. So how many different shops did you work at? Let's see, uh, one, two, three, four. Well, so on a more long term basis, I would say about four. Um, short term in 2020 before shit kind of hit the fan. Um, my wife and I, she's also a tattooer. Uh, we're traveling around, uh, we started in Arizona, Hawaii, and then we went over to Europe. We tattooed in like four different countries in Europe. And then, uh, we were in Sweden when it was like mid March and we were kind of worried they were going to shut the borders. So we kind of had to, to shit or get off the pot. Excuse my French. No, absolutely. That's that's so amazing, though, just to be able to have a craft where you can literally take it with you and do it in multiple different places and get to see and experience things. Because <clears throat> my family was military, but we didn't move around a lot. And I have, honest to God, not been very many places until I got a wild hair up my butt and moved a lot um, after I got out of high school. But, you know, like vacationing stuff, we didn't even go anywhere. And I've never been to a foreign country other than, you know, I've been to Mexico, but that's it. And I've never seen any other part of the world. 
Where in Mexico so, did you go? Um, I used to live in the shithole called Yuma. <laughs> oh, okay. And so uh, just across the border from Yuma, basically. And, you know, so I went to Tijuana once and that was about it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, have a went, funny- on a, I went on a cruise once. Okay. However, you know, and, and we we got off the cruise in Cozumel, which um, ooh, once you get like out of the pier area, it's not a great place to visit. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of scary. But, you know, um, when we were on this cruise, I guess our captain was famous for being a drunkard. And so we were supposed to like port in Cancun and they were like, "Mm -mm, it's so-and-so captain. So yeah, no, he's not welcome here. Cause I guess the last time he was there, he crashed the pier. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the things you want to hear when you're on a cruise. (laughs) Good thing we didn't run into any icebergs. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Don't even get me started on that. (laughs) that's so cool though so did you meet your wife in like when you were tattooing or how did that come about yeah i tattooed her first time i met her (laughs) what a love story yeah so she literally (laughs) has a tattoo from the first day we met which is pretty awesome that is so cool yeah so so that has a extremely special meaning then yes very much so so you tattooed her and she was like, Hey, you want to uh, go get dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Not more or less, <laughs> more or less, but uh, no, I kind of, you know, in, I feel like I let it, I wait, waited a couple weeks to kind of feel things out because you know, there's, you don't, you never want to take advantage of your professional status in that relationship. So um, you have to kind of navigate that carefully before, you know what I mean? You right. Pursue anything like that. But yeah, it worked out and we've been married now going on seven years. Oh, that's fantastic. I love hearing stories like that. It makes my heart happy. Oh, me too. My, I have a, I come from a big Irish Catholic family and I got loads of nieces and nephews and it was, we were always raised that, you know, your family is all you have. So. Right. Amen to that. And I think family is extremely important. And unfortunately, nowadays, uh, it doesn't seem like the world values family anymore. Yeah, it seems that way. Or it's trying to be touted as uncool. But I think I think people's experience will lead them back into that. I'm pretty optimistic in that sense. Um, the proof's in the pudding. You know, it's so. very true. I agree with that. So <clears throat> do you guys have the same like tattoo style? Um, it's both. We're both based off of uh, like traditional style tattooing. Um, what I would say makes traditional uh, like the rules to it would be that everything is outlined in black because black is carbon and it's going to hold up the longest on the body as opposed to like colored pigments. Right. Um, so it has a strong foundation in black outline and shading work. And I always thought and was trained that by the people that I apprenticed under that that's your solid foundation and whatever you do with it from there is kind of up to you. So she kind of got brought in that way and then developed her own style off of that. So did she get into tattooing the same way where she just like bugged somebody and was like, 
show me the ropes. Yeah. It, one of my, like one of the shops that I worked at, she got her start there. So, you know, started out working the front desk and then in, you know, cleaning the shop and all that fun stuff. And then slowly, you know, learns how you learn how to set up a station and about machines and then, yeah, kind of pretty much the same organic way. What was the hardest part or the hardest thing to learn when you were doing your apprenticeship? For me, it was getting past hurting someone because in order to do a good job, you have to be able to, to set that aside. And it right. took me a little, like it different, it's different for everybody, but for me, it took a little bit before I could relax and just do my job. Yeah. And it's funny because my husband um, has tattoos and the, the first one he got done, he got done. You know, we live in Tennessee and he got it done when he was on a work trip and he was in California. And the second time he had one done, it was a, it was a big deal and it took a really long time to, you know, get the design right and whatever, and then schedule the appointment. And man, the dude was so heavy handed. He bled so bad. It was on, it's like on his pick. Yeah. And, and oh my God, <laughs> he's not one that likes blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And he had to keep taking a break, but he was like literally bruised and stuff from that, from that particular tattoo. So yeah, a lot yeah. of the time, I think the bruising can come just from the pressure that's put on the client with the stretching hand because right. like, you have a hand that's doing the stretching work and that's actually more tense and putting way more pressure than the hand that you're actually tattooing with. Right. Um, and then as far as bleeding that, you know, that varies per client and, you know, definitely certain styles or certain, uh, how do I say it? the application of like different types of shading or, or color packing or whatever can mm -hmm. all be more or less trauma inducing <laughs> to the skin. So was it hard for you to, um, like, did you already have the artist ability or was it hard for you to like start making your own designs and, and such? When I was younger, probably like early high school, I did a little bit of graffiti and I used to just kind of doodle, you know, doodle lettering and stuff like that. Um, but nothing serious. So I kind of did things ass backwards, which in tattooing, in my opinion, kind of helped me because I got to learn it more from like a technical standpoint. And then all the artwork I learned was a result of, you know, following. So there's like tattoo flash. You see those design sheets that'll have like three to five designs on them. Right. Like those old school designs, the sailor stuff. Mm -hmm. So I started on those and I started by tracing them out all the time, like over and over and over again. So those hand motions get kind of, imprinted in your brain. Yeah. You and get so, muscle memory from that. Exactly. So I kind of had to like learn how to draw the <laughs> blunt force way. It, you know, I'm not uh, like, I'm not one of those people that I can stare at a blank piece of paper and I see the image before. Right. I have to, yeah. It takes time or using geometry for me to build designs. I, I'm not wired that way, unfortunately, <laughs> but for tattooing, it helped me out because tattooing feels more mechanical than it does when you're, you know, sketching or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, I used to love art. I wanted to be an artist when I was growing up, but um, 
Yeah, like I did not honestly have the ability to be what I wanted to be. I was like, yeah, no, this is probably not going to work out. So, well, no one's going to come to my gallery show. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely uh, nerve wracking in that sense. You have to kind of just dive in a thousand percent and just Mm -hmm. hope for the best. (laughs) And, you know, there's definitely tough times for sure. Yeah. Especially in those first, like, I would say the three to five year mark is the hardest because you've put in a lot of work to get to that point and you can do pretty decent tattoos, but you're not established enough yet to have steady clientele. So that's when that doubt starts to set in, in that Mm -hmm. three to five year range. After that, you know, if you kind of manage your expenses, right. And all that stuff, you get through it. Yeah. So what, um, with all the retarded restrictions and stuff that were imposed, did it affect you guys at all and your your income or where you are, were you not affected at all? Oh, totally. So remember I was saying that we are traveling in Europe, right? So right. we were supposed to be gone for like eight, eight to nine months. And at that point we had just ended um, – the job that we had in Maine where we were working, you know, like the t- at a street shop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we were like, you know what, let's not, why pay for an apartment that we're not even going to be at for eight or nine months? Like, let's just store all our stuff in a storage unit. <laughs> so right. we get back to the States and literally have almost nowhere to go. We ended up in a cabin in Northeastern Pennsylvania just to kind of ride out. I think it was like two or three months that literally like we could not tattoo. Right. You were just, you were going to get busted. Um, and then, um, at, after that kind of period ended and things started slowly opening up, um, you know, we work as kind of independent contractors. So we have, I have friends in Maine, um, who I tattoo at their shops. I probably won't be going up there too much more because the Maine state government sucks and they're tampering down on regulations, but Pennsylvania is still okay for the most part. That's good. Yeah. So it definitely affected our income in those first few months. Um, and, you know, it was actually one of the most difficult parts was just getting an apartment because they have one of those eviction moratoriums. Right. So a lot of people weren't willing to rent because people could basically get off scot-free if they were shitbags. So, uh, yeah. but luckily we found someone and we moved up uh, not too far from where that cabin was. So, and we love it up here. So. Yeah. And you can't beat that. And, you know, I always say that things happen for a reason. And I think that that happened to you guys for a reason because it, it put you in a place that you actually enjoy now being. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, that's something we always say, like, it's almost like a mantra, like things always work out. And if it seems like it's rough, that just means something better is waiting in the wing. You know, if you have something that you were hoping to get to be able to do and you get turned down for it, that just means mm-hmm. it's going to open up another opportunity that you're really meant to do. I don't think people realize that enough too much. hundred percent. I agree with that. And, and that's, you know, one, one way that I've always lived my life is, you know, if something is not working, get out because something else is waiting for you. Yeah. You're just always time. Yeah. yeah. Always. So if you wanted to, like, could you just pick up and like 
go, you know, to somebody's shop in another state for like however many weeks that you want to or months or yep whatever. Yeah, for for pretty much since the pandemic whole well, scamdemic, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, started, uh, once those like two to three months that I was talking about were up, we were going to uh, Maine once a month because we had a, both had a ton of clientele up there. Um, so we were going up to Maine and then um, uh, to shops in, in Pennsylvania, central and around Philadelphia. So that's pretty much what we've been doing this entire time. Only recently did I make the decision that I'm probably not going to be going up to Maine for a while. So, mm-hmm. but so I know that you are also a painter. Yes. Does Does your wife do that as well? She does a lot of like. I think now that since the whole scamdemic, we've had a lot more time to actually work on artwork, which was has been really really nice. So. I've always really loved Pennsylvania Dutch folk art. So I've been painting. um, I started with like those, some people know them as barn stars or hex signs. And they basically use geometry to make these beautiful images that were traditionally painted on the sides of barns. And I kind of infuse those into different works of art. I've just, I've always loved the effect that those give. They're like a punch in the face in terms of art. Um, so I do that. Um, uh, my wife does a lot of collage work. She's all like, she does so much different stuff, um, paintings and, and collage work. And yeah, we're all over the place, but it's been nice to be able to explore some more art as opposed to being a hundred percent tattooing, because I think a lot of tattooers can get burned out. Um, right. If, if they're not careful. You know, and I think the, the Dutch folk art for people that don't know, um, females especially if you go to any kind of you know craft bazaar or anything like that you're gonna see the dutch folk art because people have that literally everywhere they make it out of metals too so (coughs) that's like a huge design piece that people put in their houses all the time so that's fantastic that you're doing that yeah thank you so do you guys, do you guys have a store? So we do everything pretty much online. Um, honestly, Instagram was like a, the biggest uh, source of business period for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And it had been for me since probably 20, let's say it was like 2013 or 2014. Um, but over the past few years, I started slowly. Um, actually, before we ever traveled around 2019, I started I made an account on Float and Mines um, because I do love cryptocurrency and alternatives to the Fed funny money. So I try to uh, sell artwork for that stuff as much as humanly possible. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to change, get that where, you know, it was 90% Instagram business revenue and move it into Gab and Float and Mines and some of these other things that I feel like aren't going to. Uh, censor me as much I because I did notice a huge difference <laughs> right once the pandemic started and I started running my mouth um, that a lot of my analytics were changing very quickly yeah that's a shock and all <laughs> oh yeah I mean I well and it's funny that was around the first time 
I, I had heard you, you know, and Tommy G on uh, No Mercy. That was all around the same time. And I was kind of trying to point this stuff out. Like, is anyone noticing this shit? You know, and, and I noticed, you know, the story views on Instagram changed almost overnight. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, shit. Okay. Like, this, yeah. is, it's getting down to this point now. Yeah, I get a lot of that. And it, it's so funny, the, the banning that takes place. Because even, you know, simple things like you are resharing an article that the CDC published or the FDA published or, you know, the New York Times or somebody published and then they remove it for for misinformation. And I'm like, "Um, so are you telling people like the government's lying? Are you telling people not to not to read New York Times? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, they just want <laughs> to attack it? you directly. <laughs> they don't care what the excuse is, you know. Meanwhile, they're putting Big Bird up telling you to get your, your shots. So Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I saw somebody sent me a funnier one today where it was it was somewhere overseas. It was like in Ireland or something where Look, even the sheep and the farm animals are getting together to tell people to get their vaccination. And it's like had this picture of, sh- of sheep all lined up like in the shape of a syringe. And if you think about what I just said, the irony of that is hilarious. Even the sheep are lining up to tell you to get your <laughs> Yeah, I saw that actually today. I think it was on mine. Someone posted that. Or maybe Gab. And I was oh, like, oh, man. Like, does no one, like, it's, it's, it does feel like a mocking. You know what I mean? That we're getting mocked. Exactly. And I brought this up with, with uh, Kyle from the Big Dumb Podcast. And, you know, it's really hard right now to get an overall view of what, the majority of people actually believe. Right. Because can you trust the people doing these studies or, you know, giving you the propaganda? Of course not. No, no. And it's so funny because, you know, they only want you to believe that there's one group of people that's really large. And, you know, that's the people that are all rushing out to get this. Yeah. And, but honestly, I don't think that's the case. I think it's backwards. I don't either. And I think there's a lot of people that for fear of ostracization will not admit that they didn't get it. Right. Yeah. It's because, you know, people are still in that mindset that they're afraid to speak out because they don't want to lose their job or get ridiculed or whatever. Me personally, I don't care because um, I'm just who I am and I don't need somebody's approval. You know, or like for my ego sake, I I don't really care. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say what I want to (laughs) say. Oh, totally. Yeah. Ego wise, it doesn't bother me. My thing right now is I'm trying to get the the social media exposure more balanced to more free, you know, free speech protected platforms um, because I, I feel like I am pushing the boundaries a little bit as far as, you know, relying on Instagram because, you know, that's Zuck bucks too. So. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. I gotta, before I really start running my mouth again, I have to balance things out. And you know what? The people so far on Gab and Minds and Float and all that, they've been awesome. So. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, and, 
And there's so many new platforms that come out all of the time. I guess I'm lazy because um, I hate technology uh, and I am not a giant fan of social media. So, you oh, know, right? I, like, I actually, why don't you have this, this and this and you should make an account here and there. And I'm like... Oh, that's too much for me because I usually look at my social media once a day, maybe twice. That's it. And it's not for very long at a time. So, yeah, me having multiple different places to have to worry about is a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing like, do you have so you have the do you use social media for personal accounts? Um. Well, <clears throat> Not really, because uh, like I, I am one of those people. I'm. I will not be posting pictures of my children. Yeah, I don't you know think. what I mean. That that's not going to happen. And so, um, like my Instagram account is kind of an intermingling of my personal life and you know my podcast personality. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that's how I use my professional page as well. Because like, I don't, yeah. I have a Facebook page from the moving around. I try to keep in touch with family. And, and so it's right. pretty much been the same purpose as it was when I had to have a college email account to get on Facebook. Right. Um, but other than that, like, I'm like you, I absolutely detest it. But I have like for business purposes, I use it. Right. Um, right. which I did, I sent in an application to that freedom business directory. That episode was awesome. Was it yeah. Jackie? I, I think her yeah, name was Jackie. Yeah. Yeah. So, but stuff like that's great. Um, and I like it for art inspiration, but uh, man, it's just, it's like, uh, the nice thing about moving to the mountains was for the first time I would shut off my phone for two days at a time. I got a right? landline phone getting ready to hook that up. Cause I was like, you know what? I'm getting all my clients like phone numbers and just being like, fuck this. And, uh, and I got the, st started calling around to the different phone companies and because I have the landline still like the copper wire is still running all around here. I know some of my neighbors have them, but I can't seem to get a company to install this landline. So I got my hands tied right now. <laughs> well, that's because they fired all of the workers in the United States. And so there's nobody working anywhere anymore to install it. Uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Because when I moved into this mountain house just to get my Wi-Fi, I had the guy shouting at me through my front door because he wasn't allowed to come in my house to tell me how to install this cable box in the back outside and it was just it was ridiculous and like i told him i was like dude i don't give a shit like i'll go upstairs if you want you can go through my house like that's nope. it's so funny because um hello do you go to a grocery store do you go eat somewhere do you go to walmart or you know lowe's or home depot yeah but you can't come in my house that's so dumb Everything's oh, yeah. done. People followed logic. This whole thing wouldn't have lasted longer than what was it? The original original was eleven days, I think. Yeah, and then it turned into two weeks, and now it's going on two years. Yeah, the moment <laughs> I knew that what the when I knew what the game plan was was the moment that they started saying my mask protects you, because that statement basically says that you know it. it 
it tells you their feelings on independence and personal sovereignty. And when I heard that phrase being parroted throughout the news, I knew it was fucking game over as far as mass culture. Yeah. And it's it's so crazy because, you know, um, if you are having sex with your wife, I am not going to expect you to put on a condom to protect me. So (laughs) it's the same kind of mentality, you know. That's a good way of putting it. I'm stealing it. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying it makes no sense. Now I do have a, um, like a kind of a fucked up question for you and you may or may not want to want to answer this. Um, but what is the worst tattoo request you ever got from a customer where you were like, uh, what? All right. So (laughs) This is in Portland, Maine. It was approximately 8 p.m. at night. Or no, it was at 9 because the shop closed at 10. And usually by 9 o'clock, I was kind of like, if anyone come came in requesting anything that's going to take me longer than 10 minutes, I was pretty grumpy. Uh, <laughs> so, so this woman comes in and she's holding her phone up to her chest like she's protecting the screen, right? And she says, I want a tattoo. And I said, okay, what do you want to get done? And she goes you have to promise not to tell anyone. And I was like, uh, all right. And now we're telling everyone. No, on no, the podcast. Clearly not yet. I mean, I don't know her name. I don't care to, but anyway, so, so then she proceeds to show me a photo of her with her legs spread open. Oh my Lord. Jesus. And I said, you want a tattoo like in that area? And she goes, no, I want that tattooed. And I said, you want a tattoo of your vagina? She said, yes. And I said, well, I don't do realism. And then I proceeded to throw another artist at that shop under the bus um, and say, oh, you should go see so-and-so. He's here. You know, he'll be here on this day. From hey, times. And, hey uh, and she Bob said, Bob is really great at vaginas. You should yeah, check like, Bob out. Was, I, I don't do great realism. Great vagina work. You know, I don't do realism. It's going to look like a pile of sheets if I do it. So um, anyway, so, and she says, well, no, I want, I want lettering too. Can you do lettering? And I was like, uh, I was like, depending on what you want, I can do some lettering. I said, I have time for that. And I said, what do you want to get? And uh, she said, Ethan's slave. Said, oh my God. Where did you want to get that? And she just says like above her butt crack. Now, mind you, I forgot to say that she wanted the vagina above her butt crack. Riddle me that. I have no fucking idea what the purpose of that was. Anyway. I'm, I'm deep in thought on that one. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm more really trying. <laughs> so anyway, she's like, I want Ethan Slave. And I said, okay. So I pull her up to the computer and we had a bunch of different like uh, samples of different styles of lettering that you could use. And I said, you know, it being so late, it's going to have to be something relatively simple. And sure enough, she picks like varsity block black lettering. Oh, my God. And so I <laughs> tattooed Ethan Clave above this woman's ass crack. And that one, that cracks me up. That's probably my personal favorite. I mean, I'm sure there's other ones because at that shop alone, I probably did thousands of tattoos a year. So I can't, there's probably some other ones buried in there, but that one sticks out the most. I think I just peed a little. That makes me happy. I'm glad you enjoyed that Because <laughs> at the time I, I wanted to shoot myself in the face. You're like, please don't ever show me that picture. 
She came back in with Ethan. I remember like that week. And I think she got her hoo-ha pierced, but other than that, yeah. So we did get to meet Ethan because that was like the, the talk of the shop for a couple of days. Was like, man, who is fucking Ethan? Does he exist? Yeah, he did exist. Oh my god! He's probably happy as a clam. Now I kind of feel bad that I, that I asked. Oh, don't. That's oh, no, so that's, funny. that's my go-to because that, that one was just you know those that type of shit would only happen like your last hour of working. Oh you my know, god! Once that sun goes down, and that maybe it was a full moon or something. I don't know. Oh my god, that would be. I, I don't even know. Well, I'm I'm good at it from you know keeping a straight face because being in nursing, woo, I've had some smells that yeah, and you and you can't show that facial expression. Yeah, but doing tattoos and and somebody's like, here, look at my vagina. I want this above my ass crack. And I don't know like what my response would be, like how my facial expression would be. And I'm sure like, as you know, you said you're a nurse, like you get used to that stuff and then eventually it just becomes part of the job. But like the combination of the request and location and stuff and, and what she originally wanted, and the way it was approached was just too good. Oh my God, I would die. So here's what I envision. Cause um, sometimes like I can't control uh, my bodily functions properly. Have you ever had a mishap while tattooing somebody like from sneezing or anything? Has anything <laughs> like that ever happened to you? Cause I sneeze a lot because my sinuses are so messed up. Yeah. I, I can't, or like every once in a while, like I have a finger that I call my creepy finger. <laughs> it has, it has, it's kind of bent weird. It has an arthritic <laughs> nodule on it and stuff. So I can just imagine like getting one of those muscle ticks or something while I'm trying to tattoo somebody and like, I don't know, trying to make a straight line and it, ends up looking like a jagged razor blade. <laughs> I mean, from a client perspective, you get pretty used, like, especially when, after you've worked at street shops, like you get used to people moving around. So you could probably, most people that have been working at shops like that can, could tattoo on a roller coaster. Um, so that, that kind and you know, if it's like a sneeze or something, you know, it's coming, you can kind of stop or whatever. Um, and, you know, after a while, like, even if there is a hiccup, you, you know how to, the make it so that the client would never know it's there and they're staring at it every day for the rest of their life and they'd never find it. You know what I mean? That's so, impressive. Yeah. It's just their little tricks. It's like any sort of craft or trade. You know, that's very impressive to have that study of a hand where it's like, Oh, like this person is literally <laughs> like laughing like a hyena and it's not affecting me at all. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, wish I've I had that. <laughs> I've definitely had my fair share of like difficult clients and whatnot, but um, after a while, you you kind of go like I always say, I go into just kind of like a Zen mode when I start tattooing, and I can be talking with the person. It's nothing like it has to be dead silent or anything like that. But you know, after it's like what do they say? You're ten thousand hours or something. 
you know, right. after you've done it so long, like it's just, you don't have to think anymore. It just kind of, you blink and the tattoo's done. So how, how often do people like want something done and you get it the way they want it? And then when they come in for their appointment, they're like, you know what? I changed my mind. Can you rework this or redo this? Mm -hmm. Did that happen often? So when you're working at street shops, it will, um, because the people that are coming into the street shops are like, oh, you're a tattoo shop. You just do anything. Like they haven't, a lot of the times the clients haven't been like, they're not people that have like 20 tattoos of a specific style and they know what they want. So they haven't even gone through your portfolio or anything. Like it could be a fucking mess. And a lot of them, they don't care. They're just like, Hey, do this piece. It's on my, on, I found it on Pinterest. You know what I mean? And, uh, and you do it. But so when you work at a street shop, you'll, and you set appointments, you'll have a lot more of that stuff happen. Um, and after, you know, years of doing that, I just got beaten down to the point that I was like, you know, almost didn't like tattooing because I was, I was letting the clients ruin it for me. I won't even put it on them. Like I could have gone about it a different way. So now, you know, for the past, like probably three or four years, uh, I changed things so that now, like if you're, if you're even sending me a message to get tattooed, you know what I do. Like I make it very clear. Like if you want a realistic portrait of your grandma, like you don't see that on my portfolio. Right. Um, It's a very, it's a niche, you know what I mean? So most of the time now, like people know what they're getting when they come to me. Well, that's, that's a good thing because I can imagine it's just like customer service with anything that it customer service can be so frustrating, you know, and even though the customer is always supposed to be right, you're just like, really bitch. <laughs> yeah. And that's something with tattooing I used to joke about years ago. I'm like, the customer is 90% of the time wrong because they right. don't know the rules of what makes a good tattoo. You only right. know that if you tattoo. And even then I still see plenty of tattooers out there that are churning out tattoos that will age like total dog shit because they weren't trained properly. But right. That's a whole, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. So you kind of, it's like, it's uh guiding people in a certain direction and trying not to let themselves get in their own way. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you're working at a street shop, like I said, nowadays I do things in a way so that I minimize my stress. And if it minimizes my stress, it's going to be better for the client too. So. Right. Absolutely. So I know you said that you tattooed your wife, but has she tattooed you? Oh, we've tattooed each other plenty of times. Yeah. Both of us. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to get one, but I have no idea what I would want or where I would put it. You know, and I always think about, cause I've, I've seen <clears throat> my fair share of people, especially females when they get older and how saggy you are in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that would really be unattractive for me at 80 years old. <laughs> well, it, it's weird. Yeah. It's one of those things. It depends on, you know, person to person. One of my favorite stories on the positive end from working at that same shop where Ethan's slave came and got tattooed um, was this woman. She was 90 years old. 
She didn't have any tattoos. She wanted her first one. It was a little like almost Tudor style uh, Tudor rose on her hand. Like in that space that kind of is between your index finger and your thumb. Mm-hmm. And normally I don't tattoo hands, face, or neck unless someone nope. has like a full sleeve or, you right. know what I mean? And they knows what it's like. Exactly. Because, you know, people do look at you different, especially, you know, depending on where you live. Um, and this woman came in and I said, you know what? Absolutely. Like I will do it. No fucking problem. She was such a joy to tattoo. She absolutely loved the tattoo. And you know what? When you're tattooing skin that's 90 years old, yes, it is different. It's like tattooing mm-hmm. a, tish- a piece of tissue paper. Right. You, know, you have to be very, very delicate. And no, you can't do the same thing that you can on a you know 20-year-old kid. Like it, right. it is different. But the impact of it is the same. Like – there's something about, I always say, the first one takes the longest to get. Once mm-hmm. you get the first one, as long as you get it done by a good artist or right. a good tattooer, like I can almost guarantee you're going to get another one. And it's going to be in a much shorter time span than you probably would guess. Yeah, well, I know that I will not be getting one on my boob <laughs> anytime soon because you know with the aging process and I'll be able to tuck them in my pants in a couple of years. That's not going to be a good thing. Why don't you hide one under them? <laughs> that's an idea. Work with it. Ooh, you know what baby. I mean? Don't fight it. Work with uh, it. On the ribs? No. Yeah. I, yeah. Probably not. No. And I will tell you women always take the pain better than guys do. Any uh, tattooer that's being honest with you, will tell you the same thing. Well, I was going to say that's a given because women do have a very high pain tolerance. Yeah. But yeah, I would not want to do like on my rib cage. No, nope. a good spot is always, I always say like the outside of limbs. Like right. if you were in a battle and someone was swinging a sword at you, all the spots that they probably hit first, outer upper arm, outer lower arm. Uh, mm-hmm. the outside of your thigh, outside of your lower leg, those spots are all good to kind of get started. Yeah. Um, like don't do the inside of your foot, you know, for your first tattoo. Oh, that would be. Your ribs or something. That would be all. I can't. Nope. I can't. Yeah, that, that first one, you just got to get your toes wet. And, and once you realize that it's not because you don't know what it is until you experience it. And I don't have mm-hmm. a high pain tolerance and I have a ton of tattoos, but mm-hmm. Um, it's more of an annoyance than pain. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like a mild, continuous shock. It's like a rat gnawing on you. <laughs> Not even that, but no, I'd rather take a tattoo than a rat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I have to ask, um, did you ever have to pierce somebody? So when I first, um, so my first mentor was in upstate New York. But it was kind of in, uh, like, I bumfuck nowhere. So he didn't have the walk-in clientele that someone who's learning really needs. So I hung out with him for about a year, and he's like, "Dude, you're gonna need to go to a city if you re- if you really want to do this." So then I went up to Portland, Maine, did a formal apprenticeship there, and you you know the old way of doing it was that you would learn how to pierce. So you were making the shop money, even when you were useless as a tattooer. Right. So, uh, I started doing, I, I did a couple lobe piercings, maybe a nose and a lip. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I lucked out because while I was an apprentice, this other kid came into the shop and wanted to apprentice as a piercer. So I dodged that bullet, thank God, because I realized quickly that I did not enjoy piercing. It's too surgical <laughs> for me. Where my tattooing feels more like drawing or a little more artistic and piercing right. is kind of blunt force trauma. Well, I was curious about that because um, when I was a nurse, people I worked with, they were like, oh, you should totally come with me and you should get your nipples pierced because it's the most erotic thing you can ever imagine. (laughs) And I'm like, thought about it for a while. And I finally said, okay, I'll go do it. Dumb motherfucker went on lunch lunch break. Okay. On the lunch break and go and get the piercing done. And I live with chronic pain. So I have a super high pain tolerance. That to me was worse than labor. Um, It was awful. And I swear to God, my daughter was really little at the time. Mm -hmm. And anytime she would even like touch my shirt, it made me want to scream (laughs) and shit my pants at the same time. Oh yeah. You're like, don't even fucking look at me. Like, yeah, yeah, the, the nipples are. It was awful. It's the same thing. Like with tattooing, like women always take it better than guys. And one explanation for that with the nipple piercings. Now, I don't know how correct this is, is that the um, nerve, the nerves are more spread out on a female as opposed to a guy. Um, Or it could just be because guys are babies. But when I got my, (laughs) remember I was saying there was that kid that wanted to apprentice as a piercer. Right. So I would tattoo him to learn. And I would let him pierce me. So the one day I go into the shop and he's like, all right, dude, take off your shirt. And I was like, dude, I'm not getting my belly button pierced. I don't want that. And he's like, oh, no, we're not piercing your belly button. We're doing your nipples. And I didn't know anything Uh, about uh, that at that mm -hmm. time. So the piercer, the one who was established, who was training him, did the first one, Mm -hmm. which was bad, but I was okay. And then – the apprentice did the second one and I woke up with my head on a block of ice. Yes. Yeah. I was fucking Mm -hmm. out cold. And ever since then I can't get pierced without getting lightheaded and passing out. So I don't really get pierced anymore. (laughs) Yeah. It, that was the worst experience and especially so dumb doing it on lunch because it it hurts so bad. And then of course having to put my bra back on and my uniform and go back to work. And I'm like, Oh, dude, Fuck you need to go life. rest. And that shit takes a long time to heal. Like when he oh, pierced mine, I took yeah. him right out because I didn't want him. But well, yeah, I I ended up taking mine out. So I am I am not related to Governor Barbell now. Um, just so everybody's <laughs> aware of that. Yeah. Cuomo. <laughs> yeah, it did not it didn't work for me at, at all because it was just not healing like I thought it should. And it was just horrible and painful. And yeah, no, no. Nope. Oh, yeah. It's Too gnarly. Well. You'll, you'll get discharge out of them after yeah. even longer than yeah. you think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Did for a long time. And then I had my belly button pierced once with my daughter. Uh, they didn't pierce it right. And so it yanked right through and yanked um, a big hole. Uh, they put too short of a barbell. 
Yes. And yeah. so then they, I went back, I don't know, years later again with my daughter mm-hmm. and, and had them redo it. And that was not right either. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do not have like, it's weird because like tattooing and piercing, they're always put in the same shops, but they're way different, man. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And, you know, it's so funny because, like I said, my husband has tattoos and we've gone to a couple of different people that were local. And Mm -hmm. the one that was real heavy handed and he was like, you know, pretty like well known in the community and tons of people went to him and he was booked really far out and whatever. He did a crappy job and we ended up going to another shop and just, you know, walked in off the street and, and got this lady and told her what we wanted. And she literally fixed the entire thing that he messed up. Yeah. And, and it was perfect. Well, yeah. and that's the thing, like, and I was told this by one of my mentors that was like, dude, you got to work in street shops for at least five years before you specialize. And I right. definitely, I believe in that a lot because it, like a lot of people, once they get to the point of, you know, where they're just booking their own clientele on an appointment only basis. They kind of talk shit on street shops where mm-hmm. dude, I'll be the first one to say people at street shops that have been working there a long time. They can fucking tattoo. Like, right. That's not a doubt. They might be miserable, but they can fucking tattoo. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you really have to do your research and now with social media, it makes it a lot easier Mm-hmm. To do that, right. but I always tell people just look at the portfolios. Mm-hmm. If you look in that portfolio and you don't see anything from that person that you would want to wear, or you don't want to wear seventy percent of their portfolio, don't yeah. do buy them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've seen some some really good tattoos and some really bad ones, especially the uh, portraitures. <laughs> oh my lord yeah there are some of them that i'm like holy crap we used to love to watch ink masters yeah you know and then um like i can't remember what the other one was called but they would like fix i was like tattoo nightmares or something yes I think. yes 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 so what is have you ever had somebody come in that had something really fucked up and they're like Charlie, you've got to fix this. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the time they were at street shops. I don't know. One that sticks out. I remember there's a popular tattoo. I don't know if they're still getting tattooed a lot at street shops, but it was like a a feather that turns into a bunch of bird silhouettes. That was like a really hot tattoo for a minute. And, uh, and this girl had on her back that was done like jailhouse style in a house by someone that didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And it said, RIP Lil Coke. So I don't know who the fucker buddy was, but I'm assuming he did a fair amount of Coke and died. Um, so I covered that with like one of those bird silhouettes and whatever. And, you know, with cover ups, I take those on a case by case type of thing. Like I'm kind of picky with them. Because if the person wants something that's not doable, I won't. Right. You know, um, they they have they have to be really flexible. Because I'm like, listen, I'm going to need 
to use a lot of black or a lot of dark colors or right. it's going to have to be two to three times the size of the original tattoo for me to cover it up and hide it. Because unless you're covering, actually covering over it with black, it will show through colored ink eventually. So you kind of have to, it's partially hiding the, the original tattoo and drawing your eye away from it as well. Right. So how hard is it to cover up <clears throat> certain things? I mean, one of the like cover-ups that I was most nervous about doing, um, it was maybe like three years ago. Uh, this guy had tribal on his upper arm um, that was, you know, just solid black. And we were able to cover it up with a, a Japanese-style dragon and some clouds and stuff like that. And that worked out killer like it it covered it up no problem you unless you were standing maybe an inch from it you wouldn't see any of it all so it and yeah it just depends but the person and that was a cool client you have to have people that are going to just let you do your thing if someone's not willing to let go of the reins then right. i won't do it if i get that vibe from someone off the bat i'll just tell them like i'm not the person to, to do your tattoo that has to take so much artistry to <clears throat> cover up and to to visualize something to cover up something that no one wants anymore. Yeah, it's like your brain kind of after a while does like an automatic calculation. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, well, it's going to have to be two to three times the original size of the tattoo. Um, is the imagery that the person asks for, like if they're like, Hey, I want uh, a white bird over this thing. Like, no, obviously that's not going to work. Like, white <laughs> does not cover black. So, it, there's certain things that you just kind of tick off boxes as you're going along and you're talking to someone. Um, so, yeah. I'm just curious. Um, since the person that came in wanted uh, covered up the r.i.p little coke yeah i wonder if your other client's gonna come back and it get her uh r.i.p little vagina covered up. no i don't think so that was a ride or die <laughs> no she's in it to win at that one yeah she was fucking having a week dude she got that tattoo she got her hoo hop here she's fucking feeling good no no she ain't getting that covered up <laughs> she just discovered a new realm you know what i mean because i don't think she had if i recall like i don't remember her having other tattoos so i think she opened up the door of perception oh now she's gonna be hooked all right so do you still do any work for that shop no i don't go up there anymore um the okay. shop in Maine that i go to he's uh more of a libertarian mindset and like the shops I go to now, like I'll, I, I'm not wearing a fucking mask. Right. So if you got to wear a mask to work there, I'm not going. So that kind of, you know, eliminated certain options, but at the same time, like it is what it is. I'm not bending to that shit anymore. I won't fucking do it. So I don't state publicly on my profile where specifically I'm tattooing. Cause I don't want to put any heat on that shop. Right. If you book an appointment with me and you send a deposit, then you know where you're going. Right. So I have exactly. to kind of put in certain measures to keep the people around me safe, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's their beliefs or my beliefs, you know. Understandable on that. So what's your, what's your least favorite thing to tattoo? 
Um, you know, and this hurts me to say it because besides vaginas, <laughs> because my family is, you know, Murphy. We're heavily Irish from County Cork. I I cannot stand doing Celtic knot work. Drawing that stuff is a pain in the fucking ass, and it just takes forever. Like that I is one imagine. of those things. Yeah, that's one of those ones that like I just don't. I like. I almost will do it just because I don't like doing it <laughs> every yeah, once right. in a while. But <laughs> but if I had to do that all the time, I'd want to blow my brains out. That that those are so involved. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. and you're sitting there because they're always custom, so they want you know their own stuff infused in it. So like. They're never going to pick one of the Celtic knots that's on the wall. They're going to want something that they have a part in. And so you're going to have to custom draw that on graph paper and it's going to take you a long time. So what's your favorite thing to tattoo? My favorite thing is Pennsylvania Dutch or folk art in general. So like anything where you see like Scandinavian folk art with the tulips and like all that kind of really bright colored stuff. Um, man, I love that. Like, and it just takes a slight bit of translation and some black outlines, maybe a little bit of black shading to make it a solid tattoo. Like I've always heard that like traditional tattoo designs, you know, the anchors, the Eagles, all that stuff. It is folk art. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's art that was designed by people that weren't fine artists for the most part. It was used to decorate various things in their house to liven it up a bit, but they weren't trained artists. So anything in that realm, I really enjoy doing because there's something pure about it. That's not like, I don't care for uh, snooty art. I'm not into uh, like, I can't tell you an Italian Renaissance master of art. I don't fucking care. Like, right. I like stuff that people did, you know, whether it was for decorating the pottery in their kitchen while I'm using those same imagery to decorate bodies. That's, that's the stuff I really, really like. And I'm the same way. I like simple, um, simplistic things. I don't like real involved. And like you said, snooty, anything in the snooty world, whether it's, you know, shopping or art or, you know, whatever, I, I stay away from that because I, I don't like the vibe that I get from things like that. Well, and it's all so. bullshit anyway, because like yeah. uh, art, like the longer that I'm in tattooing, the word art changes meaning over time. Like, right. It's It kind of has a snooty vibe to it. And then more recently, I kind of get the vibe that art is like, my wife introduced me to this quote and I can't remember who said it, but art is whatever you can get away with. So I try to be very honest and upfront with my, uh, quote, artistic level. Like I'm not trying to recreate the things that I see. I'm making mm-hmm. abstract forms that are very simple. Like mm-hmm. I have a sign in my uh, station that I work at in central Pennsylvania that just says no fuss, you know, cause that's kind of how I like my images. And a lot of my clients are that way, like very straightforward, straight shooters. They're fun people to be around. And, you know, I know I'm going to give them a product that they like. But I like that, that that's kind of your thing, because that kind of mirrors who you are as a person. Totally. Not just an artist, but you in your life as you are. That would totally be 
my same thing because yeah. <clears throat> and that so stuff far. ages well too, is like on a technical level with a tattoo. Like as long as you put those black outlines and black shading on it, like they'll age like a fine wine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like that so much better anyway than the ones that are, you know, have tons of colors in them. Because oh, the yeah. colors like, fade well, or they the change weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like I always say there's a size to detail ratio. So like depending on the size of the tattoo will dictate how much detail you can get in that. Because even the things that are going to hold up the most, which are your black outlines, like that's going to mm -hmm. last the longest in the skin. So as you age, those black outlines will start to expand. So, uh, you know, a real thin line, you know, in 30 years is going to be, a, you know, uh, let's say a quarter of an inch. So I like to keep my design simple to allow for that expansion of the black carbon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? But uh, as long as you follow the rules and, and it's, so, yeah. So have you tattooed anybody that um, has really, really tanned skin? I mean, that tans literally all the time where it's like tattooing like, leather. Like, uh, Oh, totally. Yeah. So like I've tattooed people that like for some reason in Maine, there's a big overlap with like, you know, people come and live in Maine for three months and then they live in Florida for the rest of the year. Because mm -hmm. Maine, you only get June, July and August. And those are your only good weather months in Maine, period. Mm -hmm. Like the rest of it's shit. So there's a lot of that that goes on. So in the summers, I would tattoo a lot of people from Florida mm -hmm. and, you know, the older they are the more difficult that skin is. Um, right. But, you know, those rules are there for a reason. So like, you know, I've tattooed tons of people that have really, really just dark skin. And honestly, like those old black traditional designs look so fucking good on them that mm -hmm. like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Like as long as you follow those rules of high contrast, like, and spacing things out to be able to age over time. Um, and, you know, the more you tattoo, the quicker you move. So especially in my style of work, which is traditional, part of the reason you do things the way you do is so that they're in and out. And ideally, my favorite tattoos are going to take th three to five hours maximum. So they get in and out, they get something completely done that they get to enjoy in that short amount of time. So mm -hmm. you're not doing a ton of trauma to the skin, even though it looks really saturated. Right. Yeah. But in, in that way, the healing process is quick. Um, as far as tanning goes, like, yes, sun will break down the ink particles in your skin. It's basically mm -hmm. how laser removal works. It breaks right. out down those particles and they get processed through the liver. Mm -hmm. um, but the rules still hold true. Like if you use a lot of dark, rich black in your tattoo, even with sun exposure and all that stuff, it's going to hold up. Mm-hmm. So is, is like the elderly skin the hardest thing to tattoo because, you know, of all the give in the skin and you have to stretch it? Uh, older, older skin, yeah. Like once you get the feel for it and you've done it enough, there's like, you know how to go about it just like anything else. Mm -hmm. um, but older skin that has scar tissue Right. It's like, you're like whispering that needle into the skin. Like you can't use too much force. 
And like, that's one of the reasons too, why I got into being able to tune my own tattoo machines and why I'm a big believer. Like nowadays, a lot of the machines are like kind of just plug and play that are coming out now. Whereas I still, I was like on that cusp of tattooers that were, you know, taught how to like tune a coil, we call electromagnetic coil machines. So they're basically a 19, you know, early 1900s doorbell and you can modify the springs and all that stuff to affect the amount of force that it has. So once you learn how to do that stuff, you got a whole drawer of machines for even different types of skin. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard something about you skateboarding. Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up skateboarding and into punk rock. I think that's how this all started, to be honest. So tell me about that. Like, how did that, how did that lead you into tattooing? Um, well, I think those things kind of go hand in hand because, so I was born in 90. Um, I started skateboarding probably, man, when I was like seven or eight years old, because I'm the youngest of six kids. So my older brothers skateboarded. So therefore I learned just with their equipment, you know? Right. But even when I started skateboarding and when I was in middle school or elementary school, like it wasn't really, like it definitely wasn't in the fucking Olympics like it is now. Like it wasn't a cool thing. Like you right. weren't like, it wasn't a popular thing to skateboard. You were kind of like a dweeb. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I started, I went to a Catholic school for a few years and had a good friend there that we were skateboarding all the time. And I think that's where it kind of started. And then, uh, I remember one day we were skating on the school property and a nun came out and smacked my buddy with one of those yardsticks. And uh, so that kind I of may, like, I may or may not have gotten the knuckle ruler um, more than once. Mm-hmm. I've heard that too from like people that went to Catholic school before me. I mm-hmm. fortunately didn't get that, but they definitely did not like the skateboarding stuff. So around that same time, I was introduced to a lot of like punk bands and stuff like that, that now you know, watching them over the years, like kind of bums me out because they all turned out to really not be punk or independent. They're just kind of like left, uh, mouthpieces for the left. Right. Exactly. Yeah, which, was, which was a huge bummer, but you know, I, I wasn't that invested in them like a religion. So it is what it is. But so- yeah, so like, and you know, all the punk guys, they have like, you know, tattoos and Back then, you know, you looked up to that stuff with safety pins in the ears and all that kind of shit. You were just trying to be different and fucking do stuff that you thought was cool. And tattooing was kind of like a direct extension of that. So when I'm 19 and still skateboarding and I'm like, oh man, this looks kind of neat. And then I just, the second I started it, I fell in love with it. So, um, but I stopped skateboarding because I didn't want to fuck my hands up. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and at my age, if I was skateboarding, I probably would break every bone in my body. <laughs> Dude, the recovery time alone, like my wife and I have just been like kind of trying to set a standard of like, you know, walking X amount of miles a day just to right. like, make sure we're still moving. And like 
dude, like I get sore now and it's just, I'm like, holy shit. Like my left leg is sore from just walking. Like what the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wait until you get over 50. Oh, I'm trying. I understand that now. (laughs) Yeah, I totally get it. Uh, it's so funny because like I'll go to get up and and he'll be like hmm which part of that was you that was cracking and I'm like he's like is it your knees was that your back was it your neck oh yeah when (laughs) you get to that point where like the cracking like if you can crack your whole spine that just feels fucking amazing he he can do that I cannot I have to literally crack my back by leaning over the countertop but he can twist and crack his like nothing. Damn. See, I have to use like a chair or something, but my wife yeah, can do the thing see? where she like braces her back and just pushes. Now she like danced for, you know, like ballet and all that stuff for like 18 years. So she's way more flexible than I am. But yeah, she can do that stuff and I'm so jealous. Yeah, I don't I don't have that uh ability to crack myself like that. I just literally have to lean backwards over the kitchen counter uh, to pop my back. Whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's effective. Yeah. Definitely effective. So um, have you done anything besides tattooing? Like when you were doing your, you know, at the shop and trying to learn and stuff, did you have to do something else too? Yeah. So um, the the one thing that I think I had that a lot of tattooers don't, um, is when I was like 15, I think that's when I was allowed to get my working papers in upstate New York. It was like 15 years old and mm-hmm. I instantly got a job at, uh, Eckerd, which back then is basically Rite Aid or a, it was a pharmacy. Right. Right. So, um, I got a job there. I couldn't wait to fucking work and just make money so I could buy the skateboard shit I wanted or whatever. And, uh, and so I started working then and saving money. Um, and that money that I started saving at 15 is what paid for that apprenticeship. Cause they cost money too. Like not only are you basically a slave to the shop owner, you have to pay them to be a slave. <laughs> so, wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. But anyway, so even after paying that, which was every penny that I had, I still had to make money while I was an apprentice. Cause you're not bringing in anything. Like if you pierce, like that money's all going to the shop. That's not going to you. Cause you're right. not, you're not worth anything at that point. So, um, you know, now I'd never do this kind of shit, but I'll admit it. Like at that point I was, uh, I was going, uh, from rave to rave around the East coast, uh, purveying certain items to make the rest of the money for what I needed to, for my expenses, for my apartment. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) I don't know what the statute of limitations is on that, but whatever. I have Um, no idea what you're talking about. Wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. So I did that. uh, What was that music style? Dubstep was real big back then. So Mm -hmm. that was, um, so I did that for like three months, made my living expenses and then stopped just so I could get that stuff paid. Um, And then, after I got done my apprenticeship, moved back down to Pennsylvania and started working. So it was, uh, that was pretty much it. And like, it, you know, the, the first few years, like I said, that three to five year range, you're just trying to find the cheapest shithole that you can to rent mm-hmm. um, so you can get through everything. But 
it is what it is and it served its purpose. So what do you guys like to do in your spare time? Um, for a long time, you know, everything was related to tattooing. So if you weren't tattooing, you were painting tattoo flash or tattoo designs that you were then trying to sell. Um, but now over the past couple of years, it's been nice dabbling in the artwork because it's way more like when you're painting on a canvas, you don't have a client sitting in front of you. There's no rules. So you can kind of just do whatever you want. It's way more relaxing and therapeutic. Um, but so other than, you know, doing artwork, honestly, just enjoying living in the mountains, walking around. Um, this is the smallest community we've lived in. So it's nice getting, getting to meet people that live around you and, and being a part of a community. Right. Like, that is something that I never growing up after moving around so much, I never got to have roots anywhere. So it's nice now, you know, being able to shoot the shit when I go get a coffee in the morning and actually mm -hmm. know about the person's life who's serving me the coffee and, and that stuff. Like that stuff means a lot to me now. Whereas when I was younger, I probably could care less about it. I uh, think it makes a huge difference too. Um, from living in a real small community like that, people are so much more friendly. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And yeah. And you can have that um, personal connection and those uh, share those personal experiences and stories, whether, you know, whereas living in like a bigger city, you, you don't have that kind of interaction because the people that live around you in a bigger city, they don't want to know you. Right. Like I lived next to someone for three years and never knew who they were, what they did. Right. Whereas here in the first three months, I'd give my neighbor my key when I'm out of town, you know, mm -hmm. and ask them and they'd say, Oh, we'll bring in your mail or take out your trash when you're gone or whatever. Cause because I travel for work a lot, it, it would be beneficial. And then when they're, you know, off on vacation, I do the same thing. It's just, it's really right. nice and refreshing. And I think that's something that a lot of, a lot more people need to experience and appreciate and mm -hmm. I think that's only going to happen more and more as the days go on, especially with all this COVID shit. Like if you're not allowed to go into work, like you better start being friends with the people around you. Cause those are the ones aside from your family, like those, that's what you got. Right. Yeah. Agreed. And I, I love that because we moved to a really small community a couple of years ago and we live like out in the middle of nowhere. We do have some, people that live around this, mm -hmm. but literally if you get in your truck to drive anywhere, there's constantly somebody that's like waving at you or, yeah. you know, talking to you or whatever. And, you know, we used to live in a big city and, and moving away from that is so amazing because the big city, either you would wave at people or try to say hi and they didn't respond back <clears throat> or they wouldn't look at you. Or we had one neighbor that I swear to God was a certified serial killer stalker. <laughs> and she, it was a female and she was so creepy. I would hide from her. And, right. and it was like a game and my husband <clears throat> would be in the house and he could see like com her coming down the sidewalk and he would text me while I'm sitting out on the porch and he's like, run. Yeah. Because she was coming. 
Dude, it's like it. I swear, in the the more densely populated you get, this feeling of paranoia starts to set in. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like a fear or, or what it is, but it makes everybody on edge. It makes everybody treat each other like shit. And you know, now living where we live, it's like yeah, it's those things. Like, just you see someone, you wave to them, and mm-hmm. you treat them with respect because you know, like. There's not many people that live around here. Like, I better be nice to the, <laughs> to the right. better year. It's like peace and calm, you know, they're, and everybody's so much nicer in a very small community. Yes. And being able to hear a pin drop at night and I mm-hmm. like my sleep has been better since we moved right. here. Like all that stuff is just, and I can shut my phone off for a couple days. Like those are things that never happened before. So do you like to spend a lot of time outside like I do and just like listen to the sounds and stuff like that. Oh, totally. Like here. So I live in a town, but you're sandwiched between these mountains. So it's like Mm -hmm. very geographically landlocked. And so there's a lot of deer. And the first week I lived here, there was a bear that walked right in front of my house, a black bear. Like, Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, you're definitely in, na- in nature. Like, I don't know if you've heard of the Pocono Mountains, but that's Oh, where, yeah. I've been to the Poconos. Live. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where we live. So um, you're definitely in there. And uh, man, like, it, it's so... Uh, I was worried when we first moved in here. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to get like island fever or something living out here. Like, if I'm going to enjoy this. And yeah, it took about three days to realize that this was very important for my mental stability. <laughs> I love that because I grew up like as a country girl and my husband's always lived in like big cities and whatnot. And, you know, when this, when this house came up, I was like, I cannot wait to go back to the country. And he's like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to like it or not, (laughs) whatever. And literally it was almost instantaneous for him. He was like, Oh, why didn't we do this sooner? And I'm like, right. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and now like I'm on a forum on one of the social media platforms, talking to people that are like, you know, a councilwoman from town. And I'm realizing now, like, dude, I got to go to my local government meetings. Like, right. I exactly. never thought I would say that because, you know, I've always been kind of an anarchist, <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> but now, you know, it's funny, like in a small town like this, like I'm two doors down from a state trooper and we're right. like, super cool. Like never in my life did I think that that would be something that was the case, but like, Hey, he's nice to me. He looks out for my shit. I look out for his, like there's no issues Mm -hmm. there. And that's a statey, you know? So. Yeah. And see, I love, I love hearing things like that because that's the way I am. I don't, I don't care who you are or what your politics are. Um, or your skin color or anything else, as long as you're nice to me, I love you. You know what I'm saying? I like that. That's a good philosophy. And you know what? That's the thing. Like, I feel like, and I think Kyle and I talked about this too on the big dumb. Like if you're shout out Kyle, I love oh, you. Dude, I love that kid. He's such a sweetheart. Let me just put that out there. But I just want to hug him. I know. He's so nice. And, uh, but we were talking about like, you know, the difference between what you see on screens and your day-to-day existence. Right. Like, at least for me, 
night and day. That's why I try to stay away from the screens because right. it's not fucking real. Right. Yep. And that's what, you know, I just, I, me personally, like I love getting to know people and getting to uh, talk to new people and, and stuff like that. I would so much rather do that than watch news or, you know, go to the movies or anything. I don't care about any of that stuff. I would just rather have conversations with people. Yeah. And that's why, like, after listening to some of the Deplorable Nation episodes, instantly after hearing you converse with other people, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be no issue at all. Like, we're going to get along just fine. See, and I like hearing that because, you know, some some people, I, I don't know, they get nervous around me or something, but I'm literally the same person on air as I am in person. Like I could literally sit down and talk to anybody about anything at any given time. And I'm always the same personality wise. It never changes. And that's super refreshing too, because I think a lot of times, like at least even like my first time on a podcast, like, you know, I'm building it up in my head. Like, what is it, you know, and, and I tend to go on, you know, you can call them conspiracy podcasts. I call them realist podcasts, but um, you know, as it, I'm like, well, I tattoo, like what the hell do I have to bring to the table or what is it? Like, I don't have the inside scoop on it and, you know, on anything. And then as the conversation, you know, progresses, you're like, oh, we all have something to bring to the table. Exactly. The, and that's why, you know, I like your intro a lot too. Like we're all important. We all have a, a specific right. place. And, you know, if you want to use the, the Christian, uh, kind of lexicon, like, God has a place for all of us. We all have a specific talent or a specific mm-hmm. thing that we bring to the table. So. Right. So very true. And, you know, that's why I enjoy having conversations with everyday people. And a lot of times I'll reach out to somebody and I'll be like, I really want you to be on my show. And they're like, oh, but I don't have anything to say. Of course you do. You can literally tell me about your life or, or anything. Like, I just love people stories, you know? And I think that's what makes your podcast so special is that you bring people into this position where they're relaxed at the beginning. So then the stuff that they do have to offer presents itself very quickly. Right. Well, I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I, and thank you for having me on. This is wonderful. You are so welcome, my dear. And you're welcome anytime. Because, you know, I just love kicking it with friends. So there you go. Be careful. I'll so, take you up on that. And That's and all right. Next time I get a, a Ethan Slave tattoo, I'll hit you up. <laughs> give you the lowdown. <laughs> you're going to text me while you're at the shop. You'll never believe what just happened, Janet. <laughs> I'll be over here being my pants laughing. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some PP pads to sit on for future reference. That makes me happy to hear that. I don't know if that's weird or not, but. <laughs> Do you have a pee fetish? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't think so. I just like knowing that I make people laugh. That's oh, yeah. I love to laugh. And, it, you know, humor is the best medicine and it is the best cure for depression, anxiety, PTSD, anything like that, anybody out there struggling, 
uh, you just have to find your funny yeah. because that cures a lot of stuff. So, you know, Amen. firm believer in it. So, sweetheart, where can people find you at? Um, I would say, uh, well, people listening to this podcast, um, if you want to find me on uh, some of the alternative platforms, one that I just joined was, uh, I think it's called Getter. Um, but my name on it is, uh, it's just Charlie Murphy tattoo, um, on Instagram, I'm Charlie Murphy tattooer. Um, and most of them it's one or the other, it's Charlie Murphy tattoo or Charlie Murphy tattooer. So just search me on there. If there's a platform, I'm probably on it. Fantastic. And any final messages for you today? I want everyone, especially people that are in the conspiracy kind of community, I think it's easy to get bummed out. Please stay optimistic because your mindset is going to be the thing that changes everything. So stay positive, focus on the things that you can change and what's around you. And if you can't change it, fuck it. Don't worry about it. Amen to that. Don't sweat the small stuff and learn to laugh at yourself and the stuff that happens to you. <laughs> So just saying, so for me and for Charlie, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Deplorable Nation. Make sure that you go and comment, rate, download, subscribe, share, whatever you need to do. I appreciate it sincerely. And Mr. Charlie, it was a pleasure having a conversation with you. And thank you again for coming on to be with me today. Thank you so much, Janet. This has been wonderful. You're welcome. Everybody have a good one and I'll see you next time. Take care.